for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. Oh, what do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Paul is such a professional and he wants to get <laughs> these names right. And you're not going to get them right. Yeah, just butcher yeah. it. Don't I worry. think this is Matt the W. Cole Webb. He, he, he needs a shorter handle, by the way, which is a strange thing to say. Matt the but, W. Cole Webb. Oh, it's Matthew. It's Matthew. <laughs> I, I thought it was Matt. Kid can't even read. I know. I know. Kid can't even read. Oh, they say it's Matthew. Did you decipher that Matt one? Matt the own? W. No, someone I did in your not. ear say, I think it's Matthew. No, no nobody yeah. said that. That was They must have gotten your ear. Maybe they told me that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Was you, but what's up, everybody? Chris Sims on button. Paulie Burmeister is here. I Thanks as always. You the man. We got a good show. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got I some mean, news. We do. We yeah. got news. We got Mike McCagnan all in the Jets. The dysfunction of the Jets. Are they going to be able to play football this year? We're going to talk a little bit. Bill Belichick, right? Belichick. He is going to take over the defensive play calling duties uh, this year uh, for the New England Patriots because Greg Schiano kind of abruptly walked out of the door. I think family issues. I don't really know the full story there, but we'll see. So we'll dive into that, even get into Bill Belichick's top five defensive mm -hmm. performances when he was calling defenses, whether it was the Giants or the Patriots. As I rated by some, you. As rated by me. When did you put that together? Uh, uh, they told me about it a little bit yesterday, mm -hmm. so I started formulating. I had an idea of games going back to when I was growing up with the Giants. But then I sat down this morning and hunkered down to where I started to look at some stats and rankings of teams that he was playing against and just the moments to where I went, okay, I got five. And it's not really, like, that complicated. Right. The, most of them are pretty self-explanatory, and I don't think any of them is going to jump out and surprise anybody. Did, did you go all the way back to his time as a coordinator for the Giants? I did, okay. yeah. Wow. Yeah, we got some Giants. Some real fun. Some Giants games are in there, for, right. for, for sure. Yes, they are. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll hit that. And then um, we're going to talk a little bit Joe Flacco mentoring, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's about it. We'll see how long this podcast goes. I heard the Joe Flacco mentoring comment, I thought right away, this is something Chris and I got to – yeah, hang out with them. You know it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's just being there's there's so much talk about it right now, and it's become such an issue. And yeah, we'll get into that. But okay. I certainly got some things to say and get a little heated about that one. Very good. Yeah, it's a pretty good list. It is a pretty good for list. A Thursday for in a May. Thursday in May, which yeah. I don't even know what the hell the date is, but it's called, supposed to be slow time in the NFL and. Shit it's ain't good. slow right now. And We're you didn't even fun. bring up the last bullet point that says Florio and Sims is winning. I was trying to avoid that. Ford. Thank no, you. you can't avoid that. <laughs> oh. We'll get to that eventually, I would imagine. I, I, oh, great. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, gosh. Make I don't, sure we I leave looked, time for that. Florio looked hot. Like, no joke. Like, I, looked hot. I have a thing for Italian women. I married 100% <laughs> Sicilian, okay? I, I saw him, and I went, ooh, that's, that, that's an improvement. Look yeah. at, like, look at, look at Florio oh, there on the he left. Is. That, Pleasantly surprised that Mike is that cute. Now, I don't think I look too good. I'm, 
You're, you're a little bit seductive there with the way they caught you looking oh, up. Hello, Paul. How do you do? I think you. I, I think you. You pulled it off very well. I don't know about that. For everybody joining us on YouTube, what, what's the shot just below? Oh, that's Judy Greer. People, uh, Mink, Mina Kimes yesterday. That this is she put this out there. Who I love, Mina Kimes. Mm -hmm. Anybody that follows her, you know, from ESPN. She's on the Dan Levitard show a whole lot. Great girl. That's who she thought I looked like, Judy Greer. I was gonna say more like I look like I'm like Kelly Conway, Kelly and Conway's sister, something no, like no, that. No, no, no. That's that, honestly that's what I thought I looked like, or like just not a pretty kind of scary looking Barbie, something like that. I don't know what the hell. I do not. I look like a, a beauty pageant mom. That's what I look like. I think you look pretty good. I, I think you should be happy. All with right, that. no, I'm not. Yeah. Stop talking about it. Ashley okay? Florio, okay. We're going to get a picture of you up there soon, so just so you know. <laughs> you're, you're coming to Girlville, too. I will put, uh, I think I'll have the bronze medal there. I'll be in behind you two guys. I don't know about that. Yeah. All right, enough of that. Enough of that shenanigans. I derailed it. I'm sorry. No, it's good. We, we had to get that out of the way. Football. How about yeah. football? Yeah. Where do you want to start? You want to start with McCagnan and the Jets? I think it's the most timely. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, too. Your first reaction? Um, was not surprised. I had heard. We talked about it the last couple weeks. Right, yeah. we talked about it a couple weeks. Before the draft, I mean, to the point, and I know Mike Florio was kind of updated with some of the, you know, some of this stuff, too, uh, before that. But before the draft, or maybe the first day of the draft, I had heard from some people around the NFL that it was going to happen, and he was going to be fired this weekend. So uh, then, of course, I don't know if the Jets kind of bowed to public pressure at the time or maybe they just said, you know what, we'll wait a little bit here. Just I don't know why to not take away maybe attention from the guys that were actually drafted and making such a rash decision. But, yeah, they tried to pick a time where it's dead in the offseason. And I think they thought this was going to, what, go by without less media attention. <laughs> and it's really going to get more media attention because there's not, more to, not much more to talk about in the NFL. Right, exactly. And I think right away it's like, this is weird timing. The timing is strange. It made me wonder right away, Chris, what was the relationship, or I guess what was the feeling from Mike McCagnan about Adam Gase when they hired him? Was he not on board then? Right. Did it get off to, a, to the wrong start at that point, or was he super excited about it and something about the way these two view evaluation and spending uh, the money they have allotted to them? Did something go wrong afterward, or was it right away it was doomed? Well, I think there was issues here before Gase even got on on and from things I know behind the scenes, I don't think. Like, you don't think Mike wanted. I don't. Him? I don't think Jets brass was necessarily sold that Mike McCagnan was the future GM even before they hired. And that's Adam understandable Gaze. based right. off the record and the roster. Exactly, and we'll get into some of that stuff about with the moves Mike McCagnan made that you know brought us to this point and all of that. But you know, yeah, I don't know the dynamics of that relationship with Gase and McCagnan. We've heard some rumors. We've heard them both talk and try to kind of squash the rumors. All of that. Now I do know this. You know, the one thing I was told is that the Jets originally, it was supposed to be, it was Matt Rule's mm -hmm. job, the head coach of Baylor. He was going to be the head coach. Gase was going to be the offensive coordinator. Greg Williams was going to be the defensive coordinator. Somehow, some way, whatever, it didn't work out with Matt Rule. I don't know the whole specifics of that story, but then Adam Gase was given the job. So maybe Gase is not McCagnan's guy. I don't know. Either way, they did not see the eye to eye on how they were building the team or maybe the future of the team and how it should be built from here on out. Right. Now... To get into the first thing, it was where I hear this is the first thing. Why would you let this guy, you know, handle free agency if you're going to fire him or whatever else? All right, maybe well, they didn't know they were going to fire. Maybe him. they weren't sure at that point. Okay, one, two. It doesn't mean Mike McCagnan was just like picking players whoever he wanted. I mean, to me, guys like Jamison Crowder, Kalechi Osamele, like I would think that Adam Gase 
yeah. you know, signed off. Oh, well, you right. get me a slot receiver. I like this one. Let's sign Jamison Crowder or whoever it may be. So I would think there was major dialogue there between Gase and McCagna as far as the vision or what they expected in free agency to begin with. Very hard to make a change at that time of the year with, with all that money they had available to spend. And you know it's going to be a big free agency for your football team. So the Jets opted to go fire the head coach and let's let the personnel department stay intact for a big free agency and draft year for us mm-hmm. and they make the move now this is not weird timing mm. this is the right timing this is the start of the new calendar year for front office in the nfl the draft is over now starts the preparation for the 2020 free agency and draft period right. so it's really the proper time to make this type of change i kind of came around to that too like i said right. a moment ago like my, my initial thought was well this is strange timing and it's it's doubly strange because they just hired this head coach doesn't the GM want it to work? Isn't he really trying extra hard to make it happen? But then I thought more about it. And, you know, maybe it was fine to start, but the only way it's ever going to work in any one of the 32 buildings between a GM and a head coach Definitely. is if they're on the same page with how you build a team, how you view a player, how you evaluate, who matters a lot, who's worth this. And you can't really know that in the interview process. And they had no previous working history. So as they go along, and we know who has more power here, more juice in the building because he's new, uh, Adam Gase, and because McCagnan didn't have a lot of success building the roster yes. or winning. So Adam has more pull. As they go along, maybe it's like, you know what? Every step of the way, we, we don't really see things the same. I don't think long-term this is going to work. You don't right. know that in January. Right. By the time you get through free agency and the draft, you do know that. So why wait? So in that way, yeah, right. I have no problem with them pulling the plug at what a lot of people see as a strange time no. to do so. Yeah, no, I think if people went back and looked at like GM firings and hirings, there's more have gone on during this time of the year, you know, even June and July, than I think people would realize. Right. I think it's gone on a little more than I think, you know, just it's out of nowhere and it catches off us, us off guard. But uh, I don't think this is that crazy from that standpoint. And also, hey. it's justifiable that the Jets wanted to move on from McCagnan. It really is. You mentioned some of the moves, the roster moves, the draft, you know, the inability to really build a team with a complete roster, you know, you know, offensive line issues, never getting a pass rusher, you know, busted draft picks. uh, Okay. You know, free agents that were overpaid like Le'Veon Bell and Tremaine Johnson. I mean, that's one of the big talking points that that's where Adam Gase and McCagnan went off the rails a little Mm -hmm. bit. You know, again, I'll say this and I know this for a fact, there was no market for Le'Veon Bell. The Jets were the only team talking to him. And then the agent called around the NFL and started telling teams, you can have Le'Veon Bell for this amount per year. Yeah. $8 million. And all of a sudden teams went, whoa, oh, $8 million a year? Hold up, we'll call you back. Yeah. Maybe we can work something <laughs> out. So they created a market that way. And then the Jets, of course, overpaid and paid him $12 million a year, where I don't think anybody was offering him more than $8 right. million a year. So that became an issue. Then also, to that point, too, it doesn't mean Adam Gase didn't want Le'Veon Bell. Right. That's the other fight Just people are starting to yeah. assume here. No. he. I'm sure he's like, damn, this is awesome. I got Le'Veon Bell. But yes, he was probably going, we're overpaying. Yeah. I have other friends in the league that I'm talking to that I know where the money is at yeah and we're off here and he's going damn I could have got four million sure. dollars so maybe we get another free agent but or now, something else but now he has him yeah and I'm sure he's excited about the ways he can use him in the offense definitely spinning it forward yeah. the narrative has been created whether it's a true one or not it's out there Le'Veon right. Bell's reading the same things that we're reading 
Do you think Adam Gase has to deal with it one-on-one -on -one with his running back now? Well, yes. At some point, I think that would be the smart move. And Gase, you know, in my knowledge, I, I, play, I played on the Denver Broncos when Gase was the wide receiver coach, okay. so I have a little history with yeah. him. And, you know, when I see him at, you know, the owner's meeting in the combine, we talk. Mm -hmm. We keep it light and easy. But Gase, as I think anybody can tell in press conferences, is that he is not a bullshitter. Right. It's, it's, this is what it is, and I'm going to say it, and you might not like it, but this is what it is. Mm -hmm. He's not a politician that way. It's what I respect about Adam Gase. He's tough. His teams play tough. He made some hard-line decisions in Miami with Jarvis Landry and mm -hmm. Dama Kunsu where he didn't want to overpay them. Right. I think he was kind of justified in those decisions as well. Nobody wanted to pay Jarvis Landry big, Landry big money except the Browns who were trying to change their culture. Hey, and Dama Kunsu here we are two years away now nobody signed him yet so maybe he wasn't worth what he was trying to ask for so they don't look so bad in in retribution you know and also again with with the McCagnan thing you know just to talk a little bit more about that some of the moves that have been made you know we talked about some of the players that were overpaid you know letting a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson out I mean not Muhammad Damon Snacks Harrison out the door but yet keeping Muhammad Wilkerson I think you can look at that an ability to get a, a really a, a marquee receiver in the draft the best receiver they've gotten in the draft was an undrafted free agent in Robbie Anderson you have that Christian Hackenberg is a second yeah. round pick that's one of the worst fucking picks in the history of yeah. football Oof. I'm just telling you. Yeah. I wouldn't have drafted Christian Hackenberg. He was not draft eligible. They took him in the second. They took him in the second. And and Bryce Petty in the... Traded up in the fourth, I believe, yeah. to get yeah. him. So you go between that, Bryce Petty, Darren Lee, you know, mm. we talked about Snacks Harrison, Tremaine Johnson, all of those things. Even, hey, I'll even go into, I really think the start of it was the bowing down to Ryan Fitzpatrick after they had the one year of Fitzmagic. Hey, some, I know it looked good and Fitzmagic was good, but they never found a way to kind of replace or improve the team the next year off of that. So I just think without the great team building, not great middle-of-the-draft contributions right. from the guys he drafted and not necessarily knock it out of the park free agents, right. uh, yeah, I think all that led to Jets, Jets fans and Jets organization frustration. And not only not winning, I mean, they weren't even close to having a good team a lot of, a lot of his years. So it's understandable why he was on thin ice and – if you're not getting along or not seeing eye to eye, and we don't know the specifics, but clearly yeah. it wasn't going to work. Why not just, you know, pull it right now and pull move it on? Right and now. as you mentioned just yeah. a few moments ago, right. now is the time in the NFL calendar where all of the personnel directors, the, the, the GMs, there's no free time in the NFL, but the free agency, the draft time is over. Right. If there is a downtime for them, and they're all busy, but it's now. It is now. Now is when yes. you're going to have the attention of everybody. Now is when they put last year behind them, and they right. have time to think about if they're contacted. You know what? Maybe that would be a good move for me. So the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought this is pretty good timing. It is pretty good timing, and if you're the Jets and you want the Adam Gase hire to work, you want to get a guy in there that, you know, that you know Adam Gase respects and mm -hmm. sees eye to eye on it's the, the only future. way it's going to work. It's the only way it's yeah. going to work. You know, uh, the, to what you you know to what you said before. You know a little bit about different teams in football. The, the successful teams have a cohesive, yeah. good working relationship between mm -hmm. the GM and the coach, right. almost across the board. And I can show you the dysfunctional teams and go. Yeah, they're not good, and yeah. there's a reason there, you right. know. But you just look at, like, Kansas City, yep. Beach and Andy Reid, 
perfection. Yeah. You know, New England, Casario and Belichick, or Belichick, Belichick and Casario, because he kind of has the GM role too. Hey, it's working pretty damn good. You know, New Orleans Saints, even with Sean Payton and um, Mickey Loomis, mm -hmm. pretty good relationship seems, at least at a, top, a base level. And of course, Les Snead and Sean McVay has been phenomenal. Right. So there's your final four right there, and you go, okay, all right. the years with the Ravens and Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsome. Yeah. I mean, you can go along down the lines. The Pittsburgh Steelers, as much as we want to say they're a mess, oh my gosh, they only I mean there are threats to win double digits every, every year. single season. Right. And going to the AFC North, I think that's the best example out there the last 10 years. You, you look at the consistency at GM head coach that we saw the last decade yes. with Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin, Ozzie Newsome, John Harbaugh. You even go to Cincinnati when they were competitive for You're, all those uh, years. Yes. Different kind of structure in the front office, but Marvin Lewis was there the entire time. The one team in that division that was all over the place was the one that didn't have the continuity exactly. between GM and head coach, and that's Cleveland. And it seems like now they finally got the continuity. Right? Exactly. And look at us here. We're look going, oh, cool. we think they're a playoff team right. this year, and they got the right quarterback. And all of a sudden we go, look, it seems like everybody's on the same page. So, yeah, I'm with you. And the last thing before we get off the Adam Gase thing, too, yeah. because this is another thing I hear a lot. I'm a little sick of everybody in the New York area piling on the Jets and the dysfunction thing and all of that. And how could you give Adam Gase the power of the, you know, the roster? Did you see what happened in Miami? Listen, I understand Miami wasn't perfect. I also think Miami is a little bit better than people give Adam Gase credit for. Went to the playoffs year two. You know, Ryan Tannehill got hurt in training camp and tore his knee. Mm -hmm. They had the hurricane down there yeah. and the flooding where they had to go out to L.A. They didn't get a bye week. Remember, they didn't get to play their opening game of the season against the Bucs. Buccaneers. That's right. They had to play 16 games straight. Lawrence Timmons went AWOL right before the first game. They had a number of issues that year and still stayed competitive. Last year, stayed competitive with some issues as well and some unfortunate injuries. But the big thing is people talk about his roster moves, and I want to go, man, I know it wasn't perfect in Miami, but Miami has a lot of issues. Everybody in the NFL knows that. You know, Mike Florio talked about it a little today on PFT when we were on. But there's, there's too many cooks in the kitchen in Miami. Mm -hmm. And ownership gets involved too much and speaks their two cents, mm -hmm. even though they're not around on a daily basis and certainly mm -hmm. not watching film on players. Mm -hmm. But yet all of a sudden they're experts all of a sudden. And that's typical of billionaires, but that's also typical of dysfunctional uh, organizations. And I think there's a little more dysfunction in Miami than maybe people give it credit for. And the obvious problem as well. I mean, but by that point when he got there, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, he was going to be just an okay quarterback, not a great quarterback, and he doesn't have that problem yet no. with the Jets. Their young quarterback still has – there's reason to believe he can be very, very good, and I think 100%. that ship had sailed a little bit in Miami. Yeah, I agreed. It had it – had, and, and really, I mean, honestly, I would praise Adam Gase for what he did with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you go back and look at Ryan Tannehill's record and stats, mm -hmm. his stats and his record are going to say he's towards, like, the top ten in football in the NFL. And I know right. he he's not numbers, that. Yeah. He did. He had some good numbers. And when they went through a lot of losing streaks, it was when he was hurt and not mm -hmm. playing. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah, I think he got the most out of Tannehill, who is, yeah, is at, at best a low-level okay. starter, backup, yeah. great backup quarterback, like he's going to be doing he in did. Tennessee. I don't think he failed. No. He was fine. He was fine. Exactly yeah. right. And I think Gase did a great job of really making the most out of him. Hey, I'll throw Gase in there too. You know, what he did with Jay Cutler in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Jay Cutler's last what year What he did there. with Peyton when Peyton was at the end of his career Exactly as well. right. I mean, Peyton wasn't exactly throwing lasers around the field. You're right. right. He made the most yeah. out of Peyton. made life easy and orchestrated an offense that made sense for Peyton at mm -hmm. that point of his career. So, yeah, I'm a little bit more of a believer in Adam Gase than maybe uh, the rest of the world. And now, just like last year, but now he's in a different position, he has to figure out a way to beat Bill Belichick, yep. the Patriots. And now Bill is going to be the acting 
defensive coordinator as well. I know. It's uh, it's it's amazing. You know, I mean, we haven't seen Bill in this role in a long, long time. Now, is this going to be a big adjustment for Bill Belichick? No, not at all. I mean, even though he wasn't calling the game with Brian Flores and Matt Patricia the last few years, he's certainly sitting there and listening to every call, and he's gone over what defenses he thinks should be called in certain situations. So it's not like he's like – you know, oh my gosh, I got to get back into defensive mode. Belichick is rare. He's the greatest coach of all time. We all know that. It's not even close. He could be the offensive coordinator right. or the defensive coordinator. Or special teams. Exactly right. He yeah. is capable of doing all three. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to get a little bit into the nuts and bolts and maybe mm -hmm. some of the specifics of game planning where he didn't have to do that over the last few years. And right. I am interested to see how that changes maybe the dynamics in that building or him on Sunday a little bit. You know, what's fun about the offseason, there aren't the, the games that you have to be thinking about for every single week. You can really take a deep dive into these stories and go four or five levels deep and yeah. see what you find. And right. with this New England one and Belichick now acting as a defensive coordinator, I was reading about his staff, and he only has one full-time assistant back on defense. That's his son coaching the safeties. It's unbelievable. You look at everybody else that he brought up, and this is so New England and so yeah. Belichick. They've all been in the system at least for a year, <clears throat> maybe longer. So right. coaching defensive line, Brett Bielma, he was a consultant last year, former college head coach. That's a unique background. Gerard Mayo comes back, former very good player at linebacker. First time he's going to coach linebackers. Yep. Couple three names that you would not know unless you just are way deep in the uh, Patriot weeds because these are guys who came in as maybe video assistants, maybe GAs, and now they're being ele elevated to coach positions. And I think it's one of the ways he's kept things um, high energy and fresh where there's always that same challenge, which can be grinding. If we don't win the Super Bowl, this season was a failure. Yes. They have all these young people who grew up in the system getting brand new opportunities, brand new promotions. And I'm just picturing that kind of environment and energy in a building really adding to the positive side of how it, it, it would otherwise feel like it's a difficult place to be because you know the expectations. But these younger people trying to prove that they deserve that promotion all over the staff, I think, is a real bonus. It is a real, it, like you said, it brings energy. Yeah, how could it not? Because they're going, I, I got to prove how myself, you feel this is a great opportunity. When you're brand new somewhere. Yes. There's nothing like it. No, you're right, there's an adrenaline rush, there's a nervousness to you every day. Hey, shit, I had it here my right. first month working here at NBC. Right. Damn, okay, God, I'm doing a podcast through NBC now. I'm a little nervous, I'm anxious, I want to put my best foot forward. It makes I wanna, you over-prepare, yeah, makes you care Right, I want to impress people like you for some reason, and all the other people I You've blown with. past that now, <laughs> now right? I don't give a damn. <laughs> the hell with these people now. They like me and they're stuck with me. I think but, about half of his staff, though, right now has some level of that kind of feeling. Yeah, I, I would imagine so, too. And, you know, the great thing about Bill is he makes you feel like that no matter if you've been there for 10 years or mm -hmm. because it is every day. It's about keeping pace with Bill and the great organization and the standard that he has set there with the New England Patriots. And really, at the end of the day, and I do believe this, you know, it's all about supplying Bill with information. Mm. Now, uh, Bill, you know, like Sean McVay has Wade Phillips, at least Bill has Josh McDaniels where he can trust him yeah. to go, okay, Josh is good on the offensive side of the ball. I don't need to worry about managing too much there. So that makes things easier on him too. Um, but, you know, yeah, Bill is a master, and I think that's one thing. Hey, I look, anybody out there listening to the podcast or watching right now, go on New England's uh, website and look at their, their coaching staff. Like you said, there's nobody on their staff. And if you look over the last 
10 years and you know what they call the NFL flip card right you mm -hmm. know the flip card a flip card for all those people that are out there when when the Rams play the Patriots in the Super Bowl we in the NFL you get these things called a flip card where it's it shows Rams defense versus you know Patriots starting offense it kind of gives you the depth chart and then you have an alphabetical roster and then a numerical roster and at the bottom of that numerical roster is where the coaches are right and just look at this with the Rams look at how many more lines of the Rams staff is right. compared to New England. New England twice has, as much. Twice as much. New yeah. England has had the smallest staff in football forever because Bill makes people, you know, do more than do one job. Things. Does just multiple. One of things. his changes or additions on the staff this year, I think it's Joe Judge. Yes, Joe Judge. Right, right. Is now coaching receivers as well. So that's one extra line taken off of there because one of his veteran coaches kept the same job, and oh, by the way, yes. you're going to coach this uh, position too. Yeah, no, uh, exactly right. I mean, that's the beauty of what they do. And, hey, the, the one thing I'll fight about, I know that Bill Belichick, his assistants haven't gone everywhere to be successful. I will, I'll fight back in this, this manner. You know, again, I think Billy O'Brien's doing pretty good. I also mm -hmm. think Nick Saban's pretty good, too. And I understand there's been other Charlie Weiss's, Romeo Cornell's that haven't worked out well. I'll say this is where it's different for me with guys like Flores, Patricia, and even Josh McDaniels the next time around when he becomes a head coach. Is I, unlike a Romeo or a Charlie Weiss, they just coach their side of the ball. They never got to come up the ranks, per se, like you're saying, within mm -hmm. the system, like some of these guys you mentioned earlier before. Right. They kind of came on because they were Parcells staff, and you're the D coordinator, you're the O coordinator. McDaniels, Patricia, Flores, they have come from the very bottom. Right. And they've seen every angle of how to run the organization to where I think that is going to give them more of a uh, or a greater chance to succeed as a head coach right. in the future because they've seen those different angles instead of just being pegged in one position and not knowing why Bill made certain decisions. You say Matt Patricia, now the head coach of the Lions. Maybe right. think of a story. You know the name Corey Unlin? Yeah, coaches defensive backs for the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I, yes, I know him. Right? So Corey was in the building 2004. Yeah. He started the exact same year for the Patriots and Bill right. that Matt Patricia did. Gotcha. And Corey talks about literally sleeping in the copy room. I mean, as a low-level, basically GA there. And Bill kind of feeling you out and saying, how smart are you? How much do you love it? How much can you learn? Can you learn new positions? We'll see if we can keep you around. Right. But he talks about that year being so valuable just as learning. It was his one year in the building. Yeah. But just learning so many different things that he didn't think he was going to have to be thinking about uh, while sleeping at the building. Trying to figure that I, out. I, I, I know one of my goals was to never sleep at the building. Did you ever sleep there? No, I did not. I went home. I was always like, I'm going home. I don't care if it's only going to be four hours of sleep. Did I'm going to hit my bed and go to sleep for a little while. Do you ever think about if you would have stayed, though? You'd be coaching some position there right now. Well, yeah, you're right. Yes, I do. Probably not quarterbacks. And no, who knows what I'm going to be? Yeah, who knows what I'd be doing? Maybe I'd still be in the front office. I really don't know. Either way, I will say it was, an, you know, I was there, I think, about 16, 17 months. It was extremely... Uh, valuable. It was amazing to see the way they do things, the process on a weekly basis, not only in the scouting department, but, you know, I was the quality control, control guy for the offensive side of the ball, so I was a what big... What kind of projects do you get? Because quality control shows up a lot. Like, you read about guys, oh, he was a quality control coach. Yeah, yeah. What did you do? Oh, I was like, you know, for lack of a better word, the bitch boy for the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. I mean, any dirty work, uh, I, I had to do all the breakdowns, right? So, let's just say, you know... During the season, during the season. the season. So I was in charge of the week-to-week the -week breakdowns of the team we were about to play. What's so, the best breakdown you did that showed up in a game where you said, God, that's awesome? 
I was uh, part of that. You remember the the butt fumble game? Yes. The, the, the Jets. Of I, mean, I felt like I did like eight games breakdown of the Jets. The Jets are the Patriots rivals, and the Patriots look at the Jets as the rivals. And at that time, they certainly did. It was Rex Ryan, yeah, and they Jets were kind were of a threat, then. right? They yeah. were good. So uh, that was one where it was Jet Week. Like I better have a few extra games broken down to make sure we get this win. So I always think about that. The year I was there, we did break the record for most plays in a single season. But you know the breakdown. The in-depth breakdowns, what they do there, yeah, it's just like at a greater level than the rest of the NFL. That's what's special about them. And yeah, just as, let's just take for an instance, like if 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 it was we were in the NFL season right now and we're playing the Houston Texans this Sunday, and then the Jets are coming up the next week. I was always a week ahead, you know. So even though we were getting ready to play the Houston Texans, I wasn't working on the Who Houston Texans. Who assigned you those breakdowns? Uh, George Gossie and, and Josh McDaniels. Yeah. And yeah, I mean it would be certainly break down the four to five previous games. And I mean in-depth, Excel spreadsheets, 30-something columns per play, okay? But then, you know, also got thrown on there was always, hey, can you go back and break down every third down from the whole year or every first down pass? Or can you, can you make us a tape of every time J.J. Watt is set up to the right side of the offense? Because, you know, Belichick, J.J. Watt, the year we were playing them, he was botting down all these right. passes. He wasn't going to let that one little thing ruin a part of his game plan. So if we were going to throw short passes, he was going to make sure we got J.J. Watt on the side we wanted him on mm. to where Tom could throw the short pass to a Wes Wilker or Edelman and not worry about J.J. Watt knocking it down. And we go, oh, the Patriots are lucky. They won again. And I want to go, no, it's those little details like that that right. go unnoticed and nobody will know that brings them to another level. But you just pointed out the fact that New England has a much smaller staff than everybody. How can they go into such detail with all those grind hours grind with a small staff? That's why I got out. I mean, much. one of my, a lot of my coaching friends in the NFL were like, well, I mean, no wonder you quit. You started at the worst place possible. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I did. But I wanted to start there. Uh, it was special. But yeah, even for me, I was doing offensive quality control. And then I was in charge of Northeast, the Northeast scouting department of oh, having wow. tapes <laughs> always available for all the guys that were our draft eligible or on the radar. So yes. I didn't have to keep a running tape of, okay, gosh, it's Saturday. I've done all my breakdowns. Let me get into my scouting mode now and go through all the guys that are on my list as far as draft eligible guys in the Northeast universities wow. and make tapes. And yeah, he makes you do two jobs for <laughs> the price of one. Did, did you get to the point with the earning the trust and this is back to the breakdowns, yeah. where it got beyond the specific assignment of break this down and tell me what you find about this. Did you ever get to the point where it was break down the Jets' last eight games and tell me what you see? Well, a little Some bit. creative towards, freedom. Towards the end, they at least, not Bill. I mean, Bill didn't want to hear from me. But right. the offensive coaches a little bit would ask me my opinion. Okay. You know, like, what would you see? Or, you know, what, was, what did this look like? Or what would you think of them overall when you broke them down? Anything jump out to you? And yeah. that's when I knew, like, okay, I think I'm doing – I've earned their trust and they right. know I'm doing a pretty good job. Now, trust me, I had other moments where, like, Josh would call up to my desk and be like, Chris – you fucked up this coverage 45 <laughs> plays on the breakdown. It's not this. you got to look at this guy. He gives you the clue because, you know, they have four different versions of cover three, and, like, they break things down to an extent that other teams don't, and, uh, you know, it's very important to what they do. How about this this list of uh, best Belichick defensive performances? Yeah. We teased it. I'm right. staring at it right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd love everybody to get involved in this. People who listen come up with it. But, I sure, I got my five through one right right away. 
Uh, this past Super Bowl going to show up there this somewhere. This past Super Bowl is definitely in the mix. No Team that averaged over 30 points, going right. three. What, what should I do? Should I start from five to one? Yes. All right. Yeah. So I think um, number five, I'm going back to his days with the New York Giants. I'm going to go to the 1990 NFC Championship game. Against. Joe Montana, the San Francisco 49ers, going for a three-peat. This is the great... Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Roger Craig. I mean, the 49ers are unstoppable. And you know what happens? The Giants go in there. Of course, my dad's hurt. He's not playing. Right. It's Jeff Hosteller. They're changing. They're, they're playing more of a defense, run the ball, control style of play than maybe they were playing with my dad. And they go into Candlestick Park on the road and hold that great San Francisco 49ers team to 13 points, okay? More impressively, 240 total yards wow. on offense wow. with Hall of Famers galore out there, right? Uh, so that, to me, you know, in a game where the pressure was on the defense, not only to stop the great offense, but the defense had to play good just to help the offense out for the Giants with yeah. the style of play they played, that that will go down there, to me, as one of the great defensive performances of all time. Uh, Do you know anything? from your dad about what they did specifically to pull that off? No, I don't know. I know that dad was on the sidelines that day on crutches, and I know, and I, I wish we would have him on here today, I know to this day he still says that's the most physical football game he ever witnessed. Mm. You know, that, those, those games were personal. That's one thing we miss this day and age. Yeah. Rivalries were personal back yeah. in the 80s and 90s because there wasn't free agency and the salary cap. So, you know, my dad, he saw Ronnie Lott and those guys, you know, Twice a year, basically, every fucking year for right. like six or seven years to where, yeah, it goes, I don't want to lose to this asshole anymore. Right. Right. And, you know, if you remember earlier in that year in a 7-3 to three Monday night football game, my dad and Ronnie Locke got into it after the game and got in a fight. But that's because it had gotten personal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I'm sick of seeing you in the playoffs. And, you know, of course, the Giants and 49ers had a good rivalry there. And uh, Now a lot of time the rivalry is just about the history and the uniform. Exactly right. There's no personal part of it. Not nearly as much. And not nearly as much yeah. as the old days, which made it which made it great. Okay, I mean, number four is this year's Super Bowl. Yeah. I'm going to make it number four, which I, I can't believe I am. But, uh, hey, the magnitude of the Super Bowl, it's Sean McVay, it's the Rams. You know, we've been talking about their offense for the last two years. And to hold them to three points. Three points. And they, were, they led the NFC in scoring yeah. the entire season. Right. I know you've spent time with the film. Yeah. What'd they do? Well, they, first of all, have great man-to-man -man corners. They threw a few wrinkles. They really stole a few coverages from the Chicago Bears, what mm -hmm. the Bears had done to the Rams. And if you remember, the Rams struggled in that Sunday night game on NBC right. in Chicago. Planet. So they stole a few of their, what we would call, quarters coverage. Uh, I think confused them that way, disguised coverages. But, I, you know, not necessarily... That wasn't a game that's going to jump out to me to go, ooh, this was ultra creative. It, of course, is always creative with New England. But the thing I think that's more disappointing, they were all over the Rams stuff. They knew, almost, it felt like he knew what McVay was going to call in certain situations. Really, the other thing off of that, it's just a disappointing performance for Sean McVay, right. too. Just didn't throw off, throw out enough wrinkles at Bill Belichick. And I always say, when you play New England, the first thing you have to do is self-scout thyself. You got it. You got to start with what are our tendencies in certain formations? Because if I have tendencies, Bill's going to know them and he's going to be all over them. So you got to throw curves at Bill to keep him off or he's going to just jump over all over some of your staples in your offense. So maybe that small staff with all of the self-scouting and the project breakdowns maybe did a little bit. Of I, 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 I would say so. They stay on top of self-scouting for right. sure. Yeah. Um, OK, that was the number four. Number three, I'm going to go back to the 2004 AFC championship game. 
Okay, this is the great Pittsburgh? Peyton Manning. Okay. Peyton Manning, okay. Uh, and, of course, Edger and James, yeah. Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, Reggie Wayne, all of that. That was a fun rivalry for, for a long that time. That was a great yeah. rivalry. But I, I think what's special about that year, and I'm pulling up some of the stats, I mean, the Colts were a special offense mm-hmm. that year. I mean, 2004, they were, the, they were second in football in yards because the Kansas City Chiefs led with Trent Green, which yeah. is a great offense. But 404 yards, okay. Uh, on average for the year, they led the NFL in scoring. Of course, it's Peyton Manning, the sheriff. They're throwing the ball over the field. He's kicking ass, and they go into Foxborough in the 2004 AFC Championship game and really get dominated. Yeah. I mean, 20-3 to victory uh, for, for that football game. No, that's divisional. Sorry, I meant that said the AFC Championship. I got 2003 and 2004 mixed up in my brain. But totally dominate that football team. And um, – uh, really, th- that whole rivalry you could start talking about. You could talk about 2002, 2003, 2004 with Belichick. That's why the rules got changed with the passing right. l- the passing offenses in football because they were too physical with the Colts receivers, if yeah. you remember, in some of those yeah. playoff games to where the NFL the finally always, said, yeah. right, we, gotta, we can't let you DBs just dominate you know, wide receivers physically down the field. So that one certainly um, jumps out Bill to Bill Polian was on the competition committee, I I, I, I'm pretty sure he yeah. was. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and hey, was that a little excessive that mm-hmm. day? Uh, yeah, to a degree it was. It definitely was. But uh, still, that was a pretty damn, damn good performance by uh, the, the Patriots defense. Um, so that's three. Two, I'm going to Super Bowl 36 versus the Rams. It's Super Bowl 36, Speaking right? of being very physical with pass catchers off the line. Greatest show on turf, Yeah. right? I mean, you know, Marshall Falk coming out of the backfield. Oh, man. You know, getting Isaac annihilated. Bruce. Isaac Bruce, right? I mean, I don't really hope. Exactly right. I mean, first off is, I don't remember. I got to get down to the exact score of that game. I probably should have looked that up before we started here. But 20 to 17, okay, against the greatest show on turf. Nobody had stopped them to that point. Yeah. And, of course, the Rams talk about, oh, we think they filmed our practices and all that. You know, hey, listen, I'm not buying that. You know, again, here we are 15 years later. New England's all over a lot of offenses like that this day and age. So, to me, they put enough in the in the bank to, for me to go back and, and right. be a revisionist to go, no, I think they're kind of that good to shut down certain teams and their offenses in general. Hall of Fame caliber players in every every position group for that, for that Ram team. Yes. Quarterback, offensive line, Orlando Pace. No running doubt. back, Marshall Falk. Defense was still pretty damn good at that point, but right. yeah, the res- offense was, was loaded, super talented. So which of those performances in the Super Bowl against the Rams, obviously you, your rankings would tell us that that one against Marshall Falk I think that's was the one. better. Yes. Why? Well, I think the offense was a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. I think they had maybe overall better overall talent than this one uh, that we saw this past year, yeah. you know, and, and at that point, remember, I mean, Kurt Warner was a perennial in the yeah. MVP conversation type quarterback. Jared Goff hasn't reached that category quite yet. So, yeah, they were new to the NFL. That system was still a new fad to the NFL, and we had never really seen a defense slow them down to that point, and that was on the biggest stage. You get a pick six against Kurt Warner with right. Ty Law, right? I mean, that was a pretty phenomenal uh, performance altogether. Bringing us to number one. Super Bowl 25. The K, I mean, we went from the, the greatest show on turf to the K-Gun. Super Bowl 25, 20-19 victory over the Buffalo Bills. I was there in person. 
I know I was amazed at the time and I was only 10 years old. But, you know, looking back at it now and, and you know, just years and years of talking about it and everything about it, you know, this is a Giants team that lost to the Bills in the regular season that year. You know, the Bills won their AFC championship game against the Raiders that year, 51-3, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The Giants just squeaked by the 49ers like we talked about. It's, oh, man, the Bills are a heavy favorite. How is this Giants team going to stop them? Well, you know what they did? They called the bluff of the Buffalo Bills. They dropped eight into coverage, nine into coverage, uh, almost every play throughout the game and just said, we dare you to run it. And they did run it a little bit. Thurman Thomas had a great day, but it took away the rhythm and timing of that Bills offense that was used to having its way, just throwing the ball all over the field to Andre Reid and um, um, okay, so many guys. Lofton, yeah. Lofton, yeah, Hall right? of Famer, yes, two uh, Hall of Famers, two Hall of Famers at wide receiver, right? So that was a great offense, yeah, and that was a team that was poised to go on a Super Bowl run, and of course uh, ended up with a, a missed field goal kick by Scott Norwood. But right. to me. That was a Buffalo Bills team that was more talented than the 1990 New York Giants, but the Giants were tough. They had great coaches, and they knew how to execute their game plans, you know, a lot like we see New England teams do now. Right. I thought you might go back to, I think it was 85, 86, that Super Bowl in the, in the Rose Bowl where your dad was 22 out of 25. And I don't know if Bill was the coordinator. He was. Or just a linebacker no, coach. No, he was a coordinator. I remember watching that game because I loved John Elway. Right. And it got to the point where they didn't have a chance. No. Had a great first half. The, the, the Broncos actually led at half, 10 to 9. Right. Uh, but then in the second half, yes, the Giants outscored them 30 to 10, and the Broncos could not get anything going in the second half. Brings to light this cliche we always hear about oh, he makes great second half adjustments. Couple Super Bowls ago, when they beat Atlanta, they were down 28-3, and then they shut them down. I thought about putting that on there just from that simple reason. And I thought about asking you, what did he do differently after they scored those 28 points? Yeah, well, I, yes, that's a, I, and you know what? I, I need to go back and watch that film probably to answer those questions a, a little better. Um, you know, too. Hey, Atlanta protected the lead a little bit. That's one thing that'll jump out to right. me that they weren't quite as aggressive that way. New England's offense just stayed on the field. Mm -hmm. And Atlanta, who threw a few wrinkles out at a New England early on in the game, just ran out of wrinkles later in the game and kind of became too base, and then they became too tired. Right. And New England, who had great um, knowledge of that Seattle scheme that the Atlanta Falcons were playing because they had played the Seahawks two years prior to that when Dan Quinn was the D coordinator there, yeah, they just had a great feel for what they were trying to do on the defensive side of the ball. But I, I don't know... Uh, they just manage situations correctly, I think, more times than not. And, you know, I'd have to go back and watch a film right. to, to really give you the answers to what they took away totally, yeah. I should text you a couple days before. That's okay, I'm don't worry. Thinking I mean, about this. I can't have every answer under the sun <laughs> in the history of the NFL it's all true. the time. So It's true. I do my best, and when I don't, I tell you I don't, I don't got it. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's a list. That's a list. That's a top five list. Anybody else got anything out there, you please let me know. But that's my top five right there. I like it. Wow. So if you're watching on uh, YouTube right now, they got a we got a, a, a picture of the game plan of what the New York Giants defense was doing from Super Bowl 25 against the Buffalo Bills. A few pictures, a few diagrammed, you know, uh, plays that you would see in a playbook for the defensive side of the ball. That's awesome. That, yeah, that's that, in the Hall of Fame. In the Hall of wow. Fame. Pretty special moment. Yeah. Hey, that was a. 
that was a pretty special game. I mean, 25th anniversary of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, war was going mm -hmm. on between the U.S. and Iraq at the time, so it was emotional. Whitney Houston had the best national anthem I ever saw or can remember. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it still gives me chills thinking about it, being there that day. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. And Belichick, come on. He's on another level. Right. And the old stadium in Tampa. That was the a old, unique place. The old sombrero. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, quarterback mentoring here, Chris. Yeah. I knew I knew the the, the second I heard Joe Flacco, I don't, I don't want to say go off because he wasn't angry, but he was very direct. Right. And he didn't give a short answer. And and I believe we have the sound. Okay, so cool. Let's take a listen. And this is Joe Flacco in Denver responding to a question about how he was going to mentor, if he felt like he should mentor uh, the second-round pick, Drew Locke. Listen, I got so many things to worry about. I'm trying to go out there and play good football. I'm trying to go out there and play the best football of my life. Um, so as far as a time constraint and all that stuff, I'm, you know, I'm not worried about developing guys or any of that. It, you know, that is what it is. And like I said, I hope he does develop. But I don't look at that as my job. My job is to go win football games for this football team. I mean, that's perfectly <coughs> said. It's not selfish. Yes. It's, no, not at all. Nor did he come out and say, I'm not going to help the guy. So let's – like, he didn't say, I'm not going to answer the guy's question. I'm not going to tell. He's right. just telling you his, his job is not to mentor a, a quarterback. It didn't, he's not saying, I'm going to be a jerk. I'm never going to tell the right. guy how I prepare or answer a question for him. He's just going – when he's walking in the building on a daily basis, his first thing on his mind is, how can I be better? How can I make the team right. be better? It's not he's walking into the locker room going, huh, what can I teach Drew Locke today? If he was doing that, I would go, damn, then he shouldn't be right. the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Right. They're paying him a lot of money to be the guy. Exactly. And he's taking the right professional approach. Mm -hmm. And Joe Flacco is a good guy. You saw yeah, the way he, he even defended Lamar Jackson last year. Right. He's going to teach Drew Locke. But it's mm -hmm. just not his job to have to babysit him on a daily basis. First thing I thought of when I heard that is you, you sense a little bit of a, a chip on the shoulder. Of sure. Joe, and it's totally understandable. You look at some of these other veteran quarterbacks, these 30-something quarterbacks who only have a couple more stops left. And I think they know, whether it's a McCown or if it's Patrick, that part of their job, part of what makes them attractive to sign for millions and millions of dollars is that part of their job is to help a young quarterback and right. to bring him along. And they know that and they embrace it. Joe Flacco is a former first-round pick, Super Bowl MVP. He's been in one place where he's always been the guy. He's never going to get another chance to be the guy. Yep. This is it. This so is it. In his response, I definitely sense that, that he knows I'm a little pissed off that it ended at the place I thought it was my team where I was the face of the franchise. I'm going to make it happen here first right. and foremost. And that's when I heard his response, that's the first thing I thought is he's trying to own this as his final chance. Exactly. And that's the first thing on his mind every time he walks into the I, building. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah. to what you said, right. he will also be a tremendous help to Drew Locke. Right. It doesn't have to be on his list of – doesn't have to be part of uh, who he is or what, what he thinks of himself as inside the Broncos facility – Joe's a great guy. Right. Joe's got over a decade of experience. And if Drew Locke handles it the right way, and I wrote down what Joe said, I'm not going to have that as a time constraint to mentor him. I don't have to worry about developing him. It's not my job. However, Joe's a good teammate. Yeah. Joe's a good pro. And if Drew pays attention to him every single day to see how he watches film, he's going to learn from him. So he's going to be an awesome mentor Without even trying. I, I, I'm glad you're on the same page as I am. Because, yeah, I mean, it, 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 what is, does people think, like, 
Drew, so if like Joe Flacco's watching film in the quarterback room, right, after hours, yeah. Drew Locke walks in, hey, can I sit here and watch with you? Right. Do, do the people really think Joe Flacco's back? Get the fuck out of here. Right. I'm not mentoring you. Right. Get out of here. How dare you walk in here? I'm studying. No, he's going to come in, and if Drew Locke has questions, he's going to answer them. Right. I saw a clip yesterday on social media of him standing next to Drew Locke, pointing something out going on the field, hashtag mentoring right there. Right. So, yeah, it's overblown. So was the concept of mentoring altogether. Did you ever have a mentor, you know, playing? Yeah, but I, I don't think either one of them, and two guys come to mind who were ahead of me at Iowa, I don't think either one ever thought of themselves as mentoring me or anybody else below them, but because they went about things the right way, they were awesome They mentors. mentored you because they were just good guys. Yeah, right. And exactly. they were handling their business, and you learned that way. Right. Right. They didn't spend any extra time trying to make that happen. Yeah. I, I always think it's on the younger guy to pick out the people in front of you. And think about a quarterback room in the NFL. Yeah. Nobody carries three anymore. There's two guys in right. there. Right. So you're obviously watching the one other guy in there. Right. Picking out the people who are pros and attaching yourself to them, whether they know it or not. Exactly. You're watching every single thing they do to see what they do to last 10 or 12 years in the NFL. Yeah. So. I don't think mentoring is overrated in that sense. It's right. overrated in that somebody like a veteran needs to embrace it. Yeah, exactly. It's become a media talking point. And really, it's, it's become not because of, of one job. guy, in my opinion, because Josh McCown. Yeah. And, 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 right. that's, and it's really Josh McCown, and please respond to me, if anybody out there. But that's really one of the only instances I can ever remember where a guy was truly brought back in the mentoring role. Like, right. it was truly like, no, we want you here to help out our number three pick of the draft and help him along. Mm -hmm. I, and it truly was that narrative and said to that, you know, specific way from the get-go. Other than that, I don't remember ever hearing, oh, we're bringing this guy in to mentor. You might hear we're bringing in some veteran leadership into the room right. or a veteran backup who has a little of experience, mm -hmm. okay? And teams do that and when they're saying that they're also saying yeah we're, we're hoping that our younger player is going to follow that veteran experience and learn right. some things from exactly in my own personal life okay I went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Sean King there and Brad Johnson right mm -hmm. off the bat they weren't like texting me like hey Chris come to the meeting room let me mentor you right or do anything like that but man anytime I had a question they were all for giving giving it to me yeah you know I paid attention to everything Brad Johnson did. Oh, wait, the meeting starts in 20 minutes. He's already in the meeting room mm -hmm. writing notes. Okay, that's a good thing to know. Oh, I had Jim Miller. Remember Jim Miller, yeah. quarterback for the Bears? Yeah. I had a room with him in training camp. I can remember this one of my, like, come-to moments. You know, day's over. We get a little free time. I'm downstairs, you know, shooting the shit, playing ping pong with the guys. I walk into the, my bedroom that night. Jim Miller's sitting there reading the playbook. He's in, like, year 10. Right. And I'm in year, like, 10th day of right. being on the, in the NFL. And I, went, I remember that being a moment of going, damn, if he's up here studying the playbook, I guess I need to change my ways. I guess ping pong's going to have to go. Right. <laughs> and I learned that way. Right. But, yes, I learned through osmosis, not through somebody being, like, assigned to mentor right. me. And even Sean King, who I was competing with, and, you know, he's probably seeing me, man, is he drafted here to take my job? If I ever had a question, Sean King could have been, couldn't have been cooler. Right. Right. Like, I came off the sideline in the preseason, you know, 
hey, what'd you see? Hey, next time you do this, think about this. Mm -hmm. They weren't in the job of mentoring me either, right. but they, I just learned from them and the way they approach the game, and that continued out through my career. So the idea of mentoring is a little bit of a media narrative and overrated, in my opinion. It shines a light on one of the really cool part of sports, and we always view it through, through ex-quarterbacks, but quarterback wants to go out on the field in that professional situation. I'm sure Joe Flacco wants nothing more. Like he wouldn't say this, but he would love to bury Drew Locke every single day in exactly. practice and have all of his teammates and coaches say, he is so much better than him. Right. He would love that. Five seconds later, he also wants to help and give a good answer if Drew's going to ask him a question. There's such a wide range of how you feel about these guys behind you. Yes. Um, to, to want to, like I said, bury them and beat them out and make them look not very good. You also have it in your heart to want to help them. You do. There's no pettiness. You've been in that spot as well. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think um, that was one thing I learned right away. There's no pettiness in the NFL. You know, everybody's there because they're talented. They know they're good at what they do. And, you know, you, you, you get to a point where you just go, I'm not going to waste energy rooting against the guy that's out there practicing that I'm competing against. Right. I'm just going to worry about, damn, I need the best I can be the next time I get a rep out there to improve, impress the coaches. And I think that's what goes on in the NFL more than, than you know, I even remember rookies coming in the league, uh, Bruce Gadkowski. I remember him going like, man, I can't believe, you know, you guys talked to me and answered my I thought it was going to be like this cutthroat competition. And I wanted to be like, well, no, it's just not the way it goes in the NFL. It's not. Right. There's a professionalism there. Mm -hmm. It's called take care of your business, worry about yourself. And, you know, for the most part, you know, guys in the NFL are good guys to begin with anyways and are willing to help when, when players got questions. And I think that lesson. Unless it's Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> clearly. Then uh, that, that was an issue. Clearly didn't work. Yeah. And obviously we're, we're talking about it from a quarterback standpoint in football here. But, like, I was thinking about this. And, again, we're allowed to do this because there aren't games coming up this weekend. Yeah. We can think at different levels uh, of a conversation to the here and now for me right now uh, Mike Tirico is in our building Mike is as good as it gets so I was covering a, a fo for football night in America a, a Packers game right a couple years ago right was going to be coming through the Midwest on a Saturday anyway I got in touch with Rob Hyland the producer we both know very well in charge of the Notre Dame production said hey can I be in the booth can I just stop in the booth and spend the evening up there and kind of see how it looks and how it works right and now, if you would have talked to Mike before the game and said, hey, Mike, are you mentoring tonight? He would have been like, what? Are, yeah. are we on candid camera here? Yeah. What a jerk he is. Right, exactly. So it wasn't part of what he was thinking about, but yeah. I was in the background watching, seeing, okay, this, this guy's tremendous at what he does. What can I learn from how he does his job? Yeah. And it was awesome. It was awesome to come up and break and say, I saw you glance down here. What are you looking at there? Couldn't have been nicer about sharing every little thing he knew. And I didn't have to talk to him a lot. I learned a lot from just like watching where his eyes were going. Right. Uh, was he looking at his board when he said that? Or was he just dialing it up in his memory? Yeah. Um, so I thought about that with this too. That it's, it's really on Drew Locke, the mentor thing, much more than it is Joe Flacco. When you, when you have somebody who's better than you are in your own place, it's on you to learn from them in a professional kind way. Yes. And most of these guys whether it's Mike Tirico, whether it's Joe Flacco, they're up here right. because they got a lot of good guy in them, too. Exactly right. No and doubt about it's it. it's on him to take advantage of that. Yeah, no insecurities in those type right. of people. They're Why confident there of be? who they are, what they are, the talents are, and yeah. they're not afraid to shed some knowledge on what made them who they are along the way. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I think that goes on a lot more, and I think people need to back off the, oh, Joe Flacco's selfish. He's selfish for not tutoring, you know, more. I mean, again... 
I don't remember with Kurt Warner and Eli Manning. I don't remember Kurt Warner saying like I'm a mentor to Eli Manning. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I got to go right. back and look at it. But you know, I remember Kurt Warner was disappointed when he was being benched for Eli Manning. I do remember that. Yeah. So you know, it's just um, it's one of those things that you know. I I think it's kind of a, a media narrative. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Dan. That was it. <laughs> you could keep going on the. We did it. On the quarterback. What was our time? Thing. What was our official time? I like to hear it. I think we came in under an hour today. Fifty-four minutes. How you like them one. apples? What do you have tattooed? What do you have tattooed on you? I got. Oh, he's looking at my uh, tat. Um, D D M S. D M S C E S and P W S. Those are my kids' initials. Oh, nice. Right. So I have a I have a Longhorn. Yeah. On my leg. I have a W with all my friends from college and their initials around it, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and I only, like, talk to two of those friends anymore. Uh, they've kind of gone off the radar on me. But I figured, how can I have those initials and the Longhorns and not have anything about my family on yeah. there? So I got the DMS, the CES, and my, you know, I named my son Philip after my right. father. Right. I couldn't give him my dad's middle name or he would have been the second. But my dad's initials are PMS. I can't do that to my own son. So we went away from Philip Martinson and called him Philip Williamson so he doesn't have to be called PMS as he grows up. Looks like there's room for more. There's, nope, we're done. Sorry. Sorry, we're all done here. Pattern's full. No more kids in my house. All right, everybody. Thanks for everybody. We're done for today. Uh, appreciate you watching, listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. I'm hoping Big Phil, the big fucker, will be back, but he is going on vacation. I'm going to meet Josh Allen next week in Buffalo. Going to have some fun with him, so tune in for that next week as well. Peace out, everybody. Paul Burmeister, say goodbye. Good to see you. Good to see Teach you. Teach Josh Allen how to throw the ball. Oh, yeah, I he mean. needs my help. I will, yeah. His arm's not strong enough. If he could only throw the ball a little bit. Only be if okay. he could, right. Yeah. All right, peace out, homie. See you.